Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Marketeers have a choice to make when engaging their audience. They can build first-party relationships that bond consumers and brands in meaningful long-term relationships, or they can snoop, creep, and deliver content and offers that hold little or no relevance. If you want to build more meaningful relationships with consumers, then join Cheetah Digital at Signals 21 this October the award-winning virtual content series for marketeers. Register for free today for a host of unmissable sessions from the brightest thought leaders, leading brands and industry heads. Signals 21, bigger, bolder and better than ever. Visit cheetahdigital.com to save your spot and don't miss out. Welcome to episode 151 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today in particular, I want to extend a special welcome to everyone perhaps listening to the show for the first time as part of Signals 21, the event from our friends in Cheetah Digital. My conversation today is with Richard Jones, the Chief Marketing Officer at Cheetah Digital, someone who realized very early on the power of capturing customer data in such a way that brands can actually finally achieve the massive scale they need to build their databases, and of course then using those experiences and fun to build true loyalty over time. Richard shares some fascinating insights on how increasingly more and more industries, such as consumer manufacturing brands, are realizing the critical need for direct customer relationships, and some of the great things that he's hearing from customers directly, as well as from brands, in terms of what they want from loyalty in 2021. So, enjoy the show. So, Richard, joining me today from the UK, first of all, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, as you know, we always start our show uh, talking about our favourite loyalty statistics. Uh, You have an incredible career, which we're going to talk about, very entrepreneurial, uh, very innovative, of course. So, tell us, what are you going to start off our show with? What is your favourite loyalty statistic? Yeah, this is a a stat that I think is... um, uh, represents a bit of the, the sign of the times. And it, it's actually from the 2021 Digital Consumer Trends Index research that e-consultancy did, sponsored by Tudor Digital, where they uh, went after uh, consumers in five different markets. 5,000 uh, people responded to the uh, the research. And the particular stat that resonated with me is that 79% of those asked said that they actually would prefer it if brands spent less on Facebook advertising to them and instead invested more into their own loyalty programs to reward uh, the individuals for their business. So really, really uh, interesting start, I thought. 
That's incredible, Richard. Yeah, definitely resonates with me. I mean, I make it a point actually when I see stuff on Facebook that's just not working. I just make sure to tell them to hide it and, and go away because I, I really find it even more intrusive. Um, and I think the feedback we get consistently is people want rewards to come through in ways that are more meaningful to them, in ways that are more accessible, I guess. Just make it quicker, easier for them. Yeah, I mean, not only that, we actually, we're actually in the same research. We had 63% of consumers prefer to buy from brands that do not advertise to them on Facebook. So, you know, wow. there, is the, there is this sort of era we're in where um, consumers in, in general have, are very suspicious about yeah. the kind of personalized ads that they're getting uh, on platforms like Facebook. It's not just, I shouldn't just pick on Facebook, it's not just Facebook, of course, but yeah. the, the industry itself has, has, has created a situation where there's a lot yeah. of distrust with consumers. So, um, yeah. you know, as marketers, we have to figure out what's the best way to navigate that landscape. I know. I think it was a world of opportunity when we did figure it all out and we had our cookies working and we had all of this amazing information coming through. But one of the ones I really liked on your website actually as well was that 39% of consumers don't like ads that contain information that's been picked up from cookies. And I remember that from the word go, Richard, like actually it started to feel intrusive quite quickly. It so is. am I am I the only person who felt like that or? No, no. In fact, I, I've got, I had a situation which uh, which I've said a few times, um, you know, to, to sort of illustrate it, which was um, I had a, a hernia operation um, a couple of, couple of years ago. And um, it was one of those things I'd been meaning to get done for a while but I hadn't told anyone about it in fact I think only my wife knew I was yeah. like right I'm off I'm going to go and have the operation now I managed to find a bit of time to squeeze it in yeah. um, and uh, you know I took a, a I, think, I think it was a, uh, an Uber to uh, to the, the hospital which was a specialised hospital for, for hernia treatment um, but anyhow this wasn't something that I was broadcasting at all in any way it was a private thing it's a you know it's a procedure it's a private medical procedure yeah. um, and within about 24 hours of waking up you know in the hospital from the meds and going home I was getting ads on Facebook from uh, lawyers saying, hey, we're a specialist legal firm that, you know, can help you when your hernia operation goes wrong. And I'm thinking, how on earth, how on earth that happens so quickly? Um, you know, and, and what, 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 how did this invasion of, of privacy um, yes. happen? And, and I figured out eventually it must have been one of the apps on my phone, could have been yeah. Facebook, could have been Uber, could have been any of these apps, that where yeah. the tracking was turned on, saw my location going to this, uh, specialist hospital where you can only have, you know, kind of earlier operations. So, you know, put two and two together, but it's clearly, um, you know, an illustration of where it's gone too far. Uh, totally. And, and can I ask what country was that in, Richard? Because I know you've spent a lot of time in the US as well as the UK. Where did that happen? That was in the US. Yeah, that was in, that was in the US. So, oh um, my goodness. Yeah. 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 They have so, a long way to go, huh? No, they, they have. And, and, you know, if you kind of, you know, if you just sort of think about the, um, the, the, the etiquette of these things. I think we we got drunk on data as a, yeah. as, as marketers, <laughs> and are, are, just because we can collect stuff yeah. doesn't mean that we should. And I think we kind of lost all sense of 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 etiquette of of what actually would be the respectful, yeah. polite thing to do uh, yeah. on behalf of consumers. 
And uh, I, 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 I do another that analogy, which uh, I kind of sums it up for me. And if, you know, if you if you were living in a in your street, you know, a cul-de-sac or whatever, and you, you get to know all the neighbours, and you have a a new couple move in, a new family move in down the road, you know, you don't you don't go right. I, I, I need to make a really great impression with the this new family. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a, a tracking bug under their car and spy <laughs> spy cameras through their window in order to learn about them. So when I do totally. go introduce myself, I'll do it in the most effective way. And you don't, you, you know, you, you bake an apple pie and take a bottle of a bottle of wine rounds and ask them yeah. about themselves. And, and, that, yeah. and I think we can take that analogy into what's happening around <laughs> privacy now in the digital space. Oh, totally. I love it. Absolutely. And you don't try and make money out of them on the first visit either. You don't try and flog them stuff. <laughs> exactly. You give something, you know. Totally, totally. That's the, that's, that's the way it should be. Oh, wonderful. So how did you end up in loyalty, Richard? I was looking on your LinkedIn profile there. And I'll first of all say I, I love to find surprising things on people's profiles. The bit that surprised me about yours was your actual academic studies, which I see was you studied history in the University of, of York, if I'm right. That's right. Yeah, not, not necessarily the uh, typical, um, you know, Path into innovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Into to running a tech company, but uh, that's that's the way it worked for for, for me. And yeah, all of these yeah. things. It's 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 really. Can you ask inquisitive yes. questions and 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 search for uh, for, uh, for 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 answers? And that's ultimately what innovation is all about. So it's it's, it's not too weird. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So tell us then the, the, the career story, because you do have a great journey. I think you described it from being a sales guy uh, for a tech company into a very entrepreneurial journey, which I'm very envious of. I think I said to you, I'm waiting for my big startup idea to hit me someday. So, so you certainly found one. Tell us how it all happened. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd been um, working in, in sales, um, selling marketing technology in the whole to um, uh, you know, large enterprises for for you know, fifteen, sixteen years or so, um, and it just sort of got to the point where where I was becoming um, you know a, a little bit jaded with the whole kind of process and thought there must be there must be more of a, an intellectual challenge um, out there than, than than what I was what I was doing, which I was starting to become very comfortable in. Um, sure. And it just so happened at that time, the company I was working that, that I'd been working for um, uh, previously got sold, and it uh, created a, a payout for some of the senior team, and and, and mm. I was actually offered uh, the chance to go and set up. Uh, a company with two other uh, uh, colleagues, but without an idea, a very unusual way of doing it. Normally, wow. you know, the entrepreneurs yeah. have an idea and pitch you know, <laughs> endlessly to, to get the seed funding, whereas we actually had it the other way around. Where we had a senior nice. executive say, if yeah. you, you three form a company, I'll back you. So, wow. So that, that's, oh my how, goodness. That's, how, that's how it turned out. Um, and so we, we, had, we had the weird situation of going, right, we better start a company what are we going to do? Mm. <laughs> um, and, that, and that was that was the start of our journey, just figuring out what to actually do. Okay. And and how long did it take for the light bulb to go off? Um, not too long, actually. It was it was it was about um, four to six weeks of kind of mulling it over that kind of solidified ideas. And and essentially the the where where we landed was we, we'd been helping marketers um, uh, set up their web platforms via um, a web content management system. 
uh, vignette for, for a number of years and we've had good mm. success on, in doing that. But the, the, the thing is, it, it, these web content management platforms didn't actually work for marketers. You know, they, they work for IT in terms of locking down content and security okay. and workflow yeah. and all the rest of it. But for, for a marketer that wanted to go, you know, I've got a promotion. I want to get something up quick and fast. I want to create a great experience. I want to do something that looks amazing. You know, yeah. all of these different sort of things that are typical to, to marketers and this campaign time that we have <laughs> where, you know, you got, yeah. everything's last minute. Everything's got ex- executed quickly uh, and everything has got to look cool and be uh, and, and deliver a great experience. That kind of agility is not what content management systems were built to do so we thought well let's set up uh, yeah. a software as a service platform that helps marketers create interactive campaigns uh, for uh, for uh, their customers uh, that yeah. can be delivered on websites. That was the original thinking. Uh, so we started doing that. And then Facebook actually came knocking saying, hey, would you like to also create these experiences inside Facebook in Facebook apps when when that was, oh, some, when that was something yes. Facebook was, uh, was interested in doing? Yeah. Uh, so that was that was the original um, sort of setup. Okay. And it really then ended up specializing in experiences and and capturing customer data and an extraordinary client portfolio, Richard. I remember you mentioned, for example, Discovery, Microsoft, National Geographic, Etihad. These are incredible. And and all brands that I, I think we know are pretty mature in their loyalty and um, execution. So have, you know, huge platforms, great solutions. So where did the experiences piece fit in? Like what was the gap that you, that you spotted that you were filling? Yeah, it, it, it was. So firstly, you know, this, the, our business, which was really these, these experiences, these campaign experiences that were, were being created on our platform, they were primarily things that would engage a consumer and collect data from them. Okay. Um, and this was happening at the same time as Facebook was growing its business where it was sort of saying, hey, you know, you don't need to know who your consumers are. Uh, we know everything about them. So just oh, give us your, give us your yeah. money and, and, <laughs> and, and you'll be successful. You know, you don't, don't worry about getting to know yeah. your customers and building a customer database and the rest of it. So, so our business grew. Um, in sort of direct uh, competition, if you like, to to this huge growth that Facebook was having where they were literally telling marketers the opposite. And we were finding individual sort of niche pockets of marketers that were like, "Mm, I'm not so sure putting all my eggs in the Facebook basket is going to be the right thing to do long term. Um, Mm. But we were certainly swimming against the stream. There is no question about that. But it it wasn't always like that. That's that's the thing when thinking about the Mm. history of Facebook. It wasn't always like that. When we became a Facebook partner in Mm. 2010, I think it was, um, 2011, um, at that point, Facebook was very interested in trying to, and had very lofty and idealistic goals about trying to rewire the relationship between brands and consumers and to do it in a much more interactive, social and engaged way. And and we thought, well, that sounds brilliant. That really does sound like, you know, instead of these faceless ads on sort of TV and, you know, bombarding, taking up the airspace and billboards and the rest of it, trying to hit consumers with messages, how about engage with them, have a dialogue, interact, get to know them personally. So we we thought this was great. And what they were relying on us was to help them create those experiences on behalf of brands to engage consumers. So everything from, you know, quizzes to sweepstakes to product recommenders to challenges to all sorts of different things that would engage consumers. And that was the, the goal. But it was, 
it was probably I can't remember 2013 or something like that, where yeah. where or 2012, where Facebook suddenly sort of turned 180 degrees and was like, ah, actually, that all seems like it's too hard. <laughs> let's, let's just become a, a display ad um, uh, 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 ne- network yeah. Yeah, for brands, but yeah. to do so on the basis of data that we that Facebook harvested directly from consumers. And that's where you got all the investments in, you know, mm. cross-site tracking and, you know, using mm. Facebook logins and anything they could do to harvest yeah. data from consumers and then use that to power the, the display ads. Essentially, it was a new business model. So, you know, mm. the, the lofty ideals were, were soon bucketed under the pressure of uh, venture capital uh, powered growth, I think. Totally. But but I will credit them, Richard, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one, but I will certainly credit them with teaching us agility because, you know, that was your point as an objective for a software platform. And I think when we all realized, oh, my God, I can publish stuff on the Internet on a social media platform in five seconds, um, that was the game changer. And that, I think, then probably set the expectation for what future software platforms had to deliver is that level of capability. So, so, so I think to credit them, they, they did a good job along the way, even if they did a bit of an about turn for you guys. I, I think the, the the Maxime, you know, move fast and break things, which is which is yes. uh, the, yeah. the Facebook Super. ethos. Um, you've got positives and negatives that go along with that. Um, of course, the, the positives yeah. is the is the ability to to execute quickly, um, to yeah. empower teams to to go and try things and the rest of it. So, you know, that that is great. And there is actually an interesting story here. So, uh, one part of my entrepreneurial journey, um, uh, it, we, uh, the company that I found in Gay Sciences merged with a company called Wayne, and I took over the, the CEO of the combined entity. And okay. that was that was a uh, Wayne was a company that was was founded by Scott McNeely, who was the uh, CEO uh, and co-founder of Sun Microsystems, which, of course, was massive wow. Silicon Valley, you know, legend yeah. company, 25,000 people. And actually, Facebook took over the Sun, the former, the Sun campus, because um, wow. of the Sun sold to, uh, to Oracle. They took it over. And actually, they left on the, as you kind of drive in and out of the campus, on the front, as you're coming in, it says Facebook. And they actually left the Sun Microsystems old sign as the employees were driving out. So you can see that. Oh, and they yes. did it. They were, he, he, uh, Mark Zucker was saying to, to everybody that, look, I want to leave that as a reminder of what can happen if we don't innovate uh, okay. quickly, quickly enough. So, so there is good things. But the move fast and break things, that kind of works when you're a small startup because that's where innovation comes to. But I think when you get yeah. to a certain size, the breaking things can also mean breaking society. And there are massive issues with yeah. what happens when a company doesn't take um, yeah. its responsibility seriously. And I think that's yeah. why Wall Street Journal today uh, is putting Facebook fairly squarely in the dock for some of its past oh. practices and its transparency. So the story, I think, will will yet to yeah. be unfold on, on, on whether overall yeah. it was a positive or a negative impact. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is human nature. And, you know, as you said, the inevitable pressures of scaling something mean that uh, the decisions that are made are are sometimes just in the company's interest and not in the, the user's interest. So definitely one. I think the history books of the future, Richard, will definitely be, uh, you know, focusing on the stories of Facebook and the like. So incredible no stuff. Yeah, yeah, no question. But I, yeah. I, I didn't ask you a question about loyalty. How did the loyalty piece come in? And, I, and 
It was actually yes. interesting because it's all around this sort of time, 2013, yeah. 2014, 2015, we, we started to get um, uh, contacted by some of the largest operators of, of loyalty uh, platforms in, in the world um, that wanted to speak to us because they had seen what we were doing with these kind of, you know, everything from quizzes to surveys to sweeps, so it's all these different experiences mm. to, to engage consumers and collect yep. data. And they came and pitched us with this, this view that, and don't bear in mind, we didn't know anything about loyalty at that point. We were just doing okay. these experiences directly yeah. brands, CPGs, all sorts of retailers, all sorts of companies. And they came to us and said, actually, we're really interested in looking at what you're doing because loyalty programs, we believe, are going to transition away from the points to purchase uh, method of, 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 of the sort of traditional way things are done into yeah. more experiential um, uh, programs that engage, yeah. reward, delight, uh, and collect data from the consumers. And, mm. you know, that's something that might have not been in the in their sort of the experience base of, the, of those some of those companies. So they were looking at what other technologies and startups were out there doing interesting stuff. And so that's how we first connected with um, the sort of loyalty ecosystem. And then mm. subsequently, we then started having a number of pro, uh, platform uh, loyalty programs that were already out there, all very successful. So you know, people like Nectar and Kellogg's and AB InBev and others. That mm. we're looking at saying, well, we've already got a loyalty program, but what we want to do is have more experiences to engage people within that loyalty program. So could we work with your technology and your platform to do that and then reward mm. people with points if they you know engage in these experiences? And so that's that was really the beginning of our of our journey into loyalty, which ended up with yeah. the uh, uh, selling of the company to Cheetah Digital, who obviously wow. made great strides in the loyalty space. Oh my goodness. Super exciting. And, and there's loads of bits I want to pick up on. Um, the first bit I'll, I'll ask you about is, I suppose, that role of gamification, because what I'm certainly hearing, and, and maybe it's been accelerated by COVID, and I definitely think it was already there, but I think, as you said, the transactional part of loyalty programs has been done so well, and it's important. But um, this opportunity to really just have fun with your customers, I feel like that's really only only now coming of age. And that surprises me because I've been talking about it for probably, you know, maybe quite as long as you have. So, so do you think it is accelerated by COVID or is it just a natural evolution in terms of the loyalty industry? No, it's 100% it's been uh, accelerated by uh, COVID. Um, you know, mm. what, what hasn't been accelerated by COVID in the digital space? You know, I, I feel like we've had yeah, yeah that's it was true. a McKinsey yeah. report. Seven years of digital acceleration happened in the first, you know, matter of months <laughs> of, of COVID nineteen, and lots yeah. of programs and, and the way they've evolved have been no different. In in fact, in many of the segments that we work with, um, you know, the industries take restaurants and bars as an example. Um, you know, this period of digital acceleration that's happened because of COVID nineteen has not had sort of loyalty on the side. It's actually been done through loyalty. So the loyalty programs have actually yeah. been the way that, um, you know, the industry has re, re, reinvented yeah. itself in terms of how it not only engages with consumers and reward them, but also how it serves them, which I think is super, super interesting. 
Yeah. And somebody asked me a question a couple of days ago, Richard, which um, I'm going to pass on to you because I didn't feel I answered it as well as I think you might. And somebody said, what's the role of the loyalty program in acquiring new customers? And my sense is that might be in the same space around gamification, because as we've talked about, it's it's the value exchange, it's, it's the fun piece. And it's almost when you can, I think, just ask for the data and just get them started on that loyalty journey. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, to, to give you some sort of uh, stats around this, just with the what is now Cheetah Experience, that's Cheetah Experiences, that's the technology that, that, uh, that, okay. that I co-founded, we'll add 750 million net new names into a database for our customers uh, every single year. Um, wow. And it's and it's you know it's accelerating as, as we speak. So by yeah. doing experiences, you, you know brands. This is proven. Brands, retailers can you know multiple different industry segments can connect with audiences that that may have been customers, but they just didn't know about them. So they can mm. actually take that unknown audience and convert them into a known audience in the database to establish that first handshake, establish that first direct relationship. Um, and actually the value exchange that you offer consumers um, is the hook with, with getting that data, getting that handshake, getting them into the marketing database. And, and obviously loyalty programs have always been that sort of vehicle for delivering yeah. a, a value exchange. In fact, there's a, a, a recent launch uh, of um, Del Taco did their, the Del Yeah rewards loyalty program. They just okay. did digital. It's just, just, uh, just launched recently. And I actually find that um, a really interesting um, uh, way that they've constructed it because the, the value exchange up front is, is very real. It's get two free um, uh, Del Tacos just by creating a Del yeah. Yeah, rewards account. So right off the back, you know, two yeah. free, free meals essentially for, for wow. joining. That's the value exchange. And then when yeah. you think of what the loyalty program is, what they've done, which I think is, is, is what we're seeing as people are kind of reimagining this relationship between the brand and their consumers is the, the the loyalty program itself has got I and mean, it's got four different tiers uh, to it and so they're, they're using experiences you're getting points mm. uh, for uh, making mm. purchases there's challenges there's rewards you know they, they've got gamification and then there's sort of you have to level up to, to get to each tier with these four different tiers in cool. order to unlock yeah. basically yeah. more and more benefits and you know it's, yeah. it's a very fun experiential program and I think we're seeing much more of that. For sure. And somebody gave me a buzzword around it, Richard, which I'll share because it's always good to have a bit of jargon in a, in a chat. And, uh, and, the, and the guys I was talking to called it progressive profiling. And I thought, you know, yes. it's genius, actually, because I think it's exactly what you're saying. You can't be greedy up front, um, but people will share if there's a reason in it for them. Oh, that, you know, hundred percent. If you go go back many years, obviously loyalty programs have always been a fantastic vehicle for yeah. understanding customers. I think the bit that where the innovation really is happening right now is it's mm. not just transactional data that the loyalty yeah. programs are surfacing up. They're surfacing up all of this what we would call zero party data because yeah. as you're creating these experiences that ask people about their attitudes, their uh, motivations, their desires, getting their feedback on product services, the rest of it, and then leveraging that 
data to have that mm. one-to-one relationship. I think that's where, where loyalty programs can really drive um, data collection in a privacy-first world because you're not snooping on them. You're, you're yeah. connecting with them and offering a value exchange in return for their engagement, their data, that then you yeah. can use to personalize uh, your experiences. Yeah, for sure. And certainly everyone listening to this show is is very aware of the, you know, the imminent demise of cookies for sure. Uh, what's your experience, Richard? You know, I think the broader business community maybe has less awareness. I think we're, as I said, very, very clued in. But do you think everyone's taking sufficient action at this point? I know it's been delayed again in terms of Google kind of giving us all a bit more time to, to find solutions. But what are your clients saying to you about this, uh, you know, huge change? There are customers that are sitting extremely pretty um, Ooh, <laughs> given great. this this change. And then there are okay. other yeah. customers that are, um, you know, putting the pedal to the floor in order to play catch up um, yeah. and to hopefully be in a better position uh, when the change takes place. So, you know, one of our customers, um, which is a great example, is Starbucks. Now, oh, Starbucks is brilliant. so insulated against yeah. these changes uh, and the death of the cookie because, you know, it's, it's a loyalty program is yeah. so well advanced, is so mature, and captures such a large proportion of their customer base that, yeah. you know, when you've got the strength of that direct <laughs> uh, relationship uh, to yeah. your customers via your loyalty app, you, yeah. you know, it really does does reduce the risk that you have with some of these uh, yeah. external market forces and changes around privacy and personalization. Yeah, yeah. You've reminded me of, I'm sure I learned it in, in school or my MBA, I'm not sure which, but, you know, this whole kind of Porter's Five Forces model and who holds the power in a relationship. I mean, no one's right. going to argue that Starbucks has it right there, huh? Right, no, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, I would, you know, I, I sometimes, because I promote, you know, I believe absolutely passionately in we've gone through a period where the the gravitational, you know, <laughs> Pull yeah. of, yeah. of, 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 of the marketing norms that have almost been turned on their head, where you know things that seem so so obviously sensible, like build direct relationships with consumers, build your marketing database, learn yeah. about uh, individuals directly, for, you know, yeah. take take relation take control over your own customer relationships. That almost sort of went away with this weird period where we just went completely drunk on data and thought it was okay to uh, steal data, snoop on people, you know, sell data through the ad tech ecosystem in a whole yeah. number of nefarious ways. We've literally come out of that now and yeah. we're, we're back to almost these marketing norms again. And yeah. I, I will pay hats off to Google because um, what I do think, what I think Google has been, better than, than some of the other players in space is that they have come out unequivocally rather than using it as a as a sort of way to go, oh, well, in this period of disruption, give us even more money, we'll work it out. They have come out and said, no, we're not going to, to have some sort of hashed email identifier that is essentially another uh, yeah. you know, replacement for a cookie. Yeah. Yeah. No, we feel yeah. that that infringes uh, consumer privacy is, is not the way forward. So, mm. you know, they've gone out on rack, record of, of March of this yeah. year saying everyone needs to build first-party relationships. You need that direct data from consumers. It's absolutely vital in anything yeah. that we do to support you moving forward. So they've been very, very clear, and I think that's given mm. guidance to marketers. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, you know, obviously different verticals or different stages of maturity. So, you know, our retailers, our Starbucks, you know, those examples are, are as we said, very advanced. What's your view on, on how do the, the CPGs get into this when, you know, they don't have the transactional relationship, for example, as a starting point? And I know the company, again, that, uh, that, that you founded, did already start to, to build those solutions. But I'm fascinated by loyalty for, for manufacturers. Where is it at? Please tell me. Yeah, so, it, it, and this is it, this is a, a, a really interesting thing because I, I, about five years ago, I think it was maybe six years ago, um, uh, I, I was at a, a, a trade show and I managed to get myself a, a very senior uh, meeting with a, with a, a senior, senior exec uh, at uh, Unilever, I hope they won't mind me saying. Wow, but, um, but, and, and I was really chuffed to be able to sort of tell them everything we were doing and talk about how yeah. we can build all this data. And yeah. uh, I kind of left the meeting absolutely deflated because I basically got told that we're not interested in building out uh, a data consent around consumers. We can hyper-target and hyper-personalise yes. content at will using yeah. all of the targeting criteria of Facebook and a coterie of third-party data providers. And so, you know, mm. why would we bother with your solution? And I was very deflated at the time. Thinking, the world's gone mad. Yeah. Um, Fast forward to today, Unilever are in a completely different um, picture. Mindset, to, yeah. To say yeah. They're, they're a client of ours and they're, 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 they're really um, a very uh, uh, forward-thinking and progressive company in terms of how they engage with consumers and, and collect data transparently. But that, that's been mirrored across the CPG space in the last few years. So we work with you know, the, the likes of, of P&G and AB InBev and a whole host of different um uh, CPGs around the world, PepsiCo, uh, Coca-Cola, mm. you know, you name it, it's really a who's who. And they they basically, as a, as a sort of category, realised that because they don't have that transactional relationship, it's even more important for them to go yeah. and think about how do they collect first-party data, how do they collect zero-party data, which is the data that's, tra- you know, transparently given to you by a consumer in return for usually for some value so that you can personalise your marketing. So they've gone and done that. I mean, uh, um, uh, P&G, uh, the chief brand officer uh, mm. there, came out um, about two years ago now, I think it was about 18 months, two years ago, saying, you know, P&G, and we were fortunate enough to work with them in this process, have collected mm. 1.5 billion uh, wow. first-party wow. relationships uh, <laughs> with consumers. So when they put their mind to it, you know, these guys oh. can, can do things very, very quickly. You know, I've often said, Richard, I wish I'd done a stint in FMCG because it really, as you said, when they put their minds to it, my God, you know, the insights are super clear, the discipline and then the execution, my God. So how exciting to be part of that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the other side of it is, is in terms of how they pioneer uh, these things in the CPG space, when when you don't have that transactional relationship, actually the onus for doing, you know, more innovative things when it comes to the types mm. of experiences that you put out and that being the value that you yeah. can, can connect with consumers is, is very much there. They, they obviously do have a benefit in the fact that a lot of these CPGs, you know, mm. 
have packaging that yeah. you know we pick up and use every day that can be sure. a vehicle for um, yeah. getting people to take some sort of digital action these days uh, yeah. with yeah, QR codes or the rest of it. So you know they, there's 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 options for them to go and collect this this data, and we're seeing more of them start mm. to put in quite interesting loyalty programs because they don't want just yeah. one campaign to collect a bunch of data. They want yeah. that ongoing relationship. So the loyalty yeah. frameworks give that ability to to keep keep people coming back and engaging uh, between yeah. purchases and, and 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 having more of a relationship with the, with the brand. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely one I want to hear all of your thoughts on an ongoing basis. As I said, I'm fascinated with it. I feel like it's the next big thing in loyalty. And just as a final point on that one, I know before COVID, Coca-Cola had launched, I think you referenced it yourself, the Coca-Cola Club, but actually it was a paid loyalty program. And that also to me was quite fascinating. And I think few brands can probably compete with Coca-Cola, obviously, in terms of their brand value to, to pay to get merchandise or, or flavor or whatever the benefits are. But um, yeah, definitely one we'll have to, to stay close on. So listen, the final kind of main area I wanted to ask you about, Richard, was I know you guys do loads um, in terms of consumer research. Um, so I'd love to get a sense of, you know, what exactly like do you do? Like, is it in, you know, maybe just your main markets or how do you approach getting this research? Because I, I was looking on your website in advance of this call and there's some fabulous stuff on there, which we'll obviously talk about as well in terms of your upcoming content as well. But tell us, first of all, about the, the research piece and then your whole kind of content strategy. Yeah, so I mean, we, we aim to, to I mean, we've totally dedicated to marketers. That's, you know, we're sort of single laned on, 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 on that focus. And so ultimately, that's not just about providing technology and, and services to, to marketers, that community. It's also being part of the conversation about how the industry is evolving and trying to um, tee up and provide as much value as we can to the marketing community about the kinds of things that they should be doing to anticipate changes that are happening today uh, with consumer attitudes, uh, with technology, with things like privacy and the death of the, the cookie. And, one of the ways that we can do that is going out there investing in original research, both research that's focused from consumers, but also research that's focused on the attitudes of marketers to see, you know, are they aligned? You know, do the way that the marketing <laughs> community see things actually yeah. map to, to consumer trends and try and then share that information and, 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 and start to hopefully um, yeah. you know, spark conversation. That's, that's what we intend to do. Nice, nice, nice. I didn't realize you did both sides because I think sometimes, again, like we research and we find what uh, what we want to find or... <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Clever. Yeah. You know, clever. And, and, and they, usually when we do when we do the consumer and the marketer research, it's never totally aligned. There's always yeah. gaps there because yeah. things are changing so quickly. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep up half the time. Yeah, yeah. But to your point earlier, actually, I suppose there's the opportunity to be inquisitive, opportunity to involve the community in, in you know, answering and asking those questions. So a very valuable contribution. So um, the final thing then is, I suppose, just to talk about the, um, the, the ongoing content. So Signals 21. So we're releasing this show now literally at the end of day four and so there's some amazing content already being uh, released and some upcoming content 
as well. So tell us a bit about Signals 21 and maybe the background on that piece. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Signals 2021, uh, it's it's a, a conference that we have as a virtual content series that we make available. It's for, for everybody uh, that's interested in all things, you know, loyalty, personalization, messaging, uh, um, uh, and, and, and data, right, CRM data. So um, we create a, a, a whole set of uh, content, which is, it's got analyst points of view. It's got uh, customer keynotes. Uh, it's got original research, um, and hopefully, is a is a guide to how marketers might think about addressing some of the challenges that they might be facing over the next twelve months. And you know, talking about kind of loyalty, one of the things that we saw around the original research that we did for the twenty twenty one Consumer Trends Index versus uh, uh, you know, go back to two thousand and nineteen, is there's, mm. there's been this significant um, statistical change in what uh, consumers um, uh, uh, think about loyalty and rewards program and what brands should offer them to keep yeah. them coming back. And that the change is actually almost the opposite of what you'd expect. You might think that in a pandemic, it's going to be, give me more discounts, give me yes. more points and rewards. And it's yes. not. It's actually, there's been a noticeable reduction in discounts um, and uh, points and rewards being the, yes. uh, the, the main drivers of loyalty programs. Well, they're still the main drivers, but they're less of an impact than they were two years ago. And actually more uh, interest in things like, you know, exclusive uh, access mm. to products or early access to products and services, mm. Um, mm. you know, uh, recognition, uh, challenges and experiential things like contests mm. and sweepstakes and what have you. So we're seeing consumers basically wow. tell brands, Give me, give me more of an experience. Get me closer to you. Don't just give me points uh, and, and rewards and discounts. Oh my goodness, that's fascinating. And and I did look myself as well, Richard, at some of the the lineup. And I saw from from last year, from Signals Twenty Twenty, I saw Seth Godin, who is actually the man responsible for me podcasting. Actually, I'll give him really? that credit. Wow. Yes, he he convinced me it was a good thing to do. So well done, Seth. <laughs> um, but then coming up on this year, I love the idea of the rise of the ethical consumer. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's coming through in your research as well. Obviously, lots on zero party data and also customer lifetime value, which is obviously a topic that increasingly I just love talking about. I think everybody's kind of finally realized that that's the way we have to go. So an incredible lineup. So so I guess yeah. just... Um, so sorry, go on, tell me. You want to mention no, I was say, we, We've also got a, a bevy of, of brands that have been giving their opinion on how to build oh. this direct relationship with consumers. We've got Blooming Brands, we've got Del Taco, we've got Torchies Tacos, we've got Unilever. Um, there's a whole set of different uh, uh, fabulous oh. marketers that you can hear from as well. Wonderful. Well, as I said, I'm totally geeking out on the CPG stuff, so I'll definitely add, add Unilever to the list. So that's wonderful, Richard. Um, a fabulous conversation from my side. Um, love everything that you've created. So again, congratulations on coming up with something super useful to the community. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention for listeners before we wrap up? The uh, last thing I'd say is that the, um, uh, uh, the, the content and signals, um, if you register you can all access it both live and get live Q&As, but you can also get it on demand if you register as well. So bite-sized yeah. bits of content that you can access as needed. Wonderful. Brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, on that note, Richard Jones, Chief Marketing Officer at Cheetah Digital. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. 
This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.